Um, our series that we're in um, is a series that we're calling Through the Fire, and today I want to talk about being tested by the fire. Last week I shared a story about <clears throat> um, the Peshtigo fire, and today I want to share just briefly about a different fire, and this particular fire it was called the Great London Fire, and it uh, took place in uh, September of 1666 in the city of London, and it was started in a bakery. And the the employee at the end of the day uh, felt like you know he had extinguished all the fires that needed to be extinguished. I'm sure they were they they were obviously wood or coal uh, burning fires and ovens and. Um, thought he had extinguished all of them, but evidently something was not put out. <clears throat> and so it started a fire, and that fire raged in that city for four, some say even five days. <clears throat> and at that time, there, there were no fire trucks. Um, 1666, I, I mean, you know, there's not a lot of cities, uh, you know, that were around then that are around now, but London was one of those. But there were no fire trucks. There were no brigades that would <clears throat> take care of the fires. But they did have, have one means of, of trying to get control of a fire, and it was called a fire break. And that's very similar to what uh, firefighters do with wildfires today. <clears throat> Um, today, they would do it a little bit different. Today, uh, if there's a fire and the wind is blowing it one direction and it's out of control, to create a fire break, they will basically, they will try to knock down and move all the trees in that area where it's going so that when it gets there, it has no fuel. Remember we said that a fire needs heat, oxygen, and fuel. So they will try to rob the fuel from that fire. <clears throat> well, in London, what they, the, the problem was that this fire had really was going through a lot of the, um, the lower income housing, and uh, so they, they had to, to do something. And so the, the Navy came in, <clears throat> and they took 600,000 pounds of gunpowder, and they lit it off in an area that they believed the fire was pushing to, and it was, it was residential areas. And they, they literally destroyed homes in order to create an open space where the fire could not continue past that. And a total of 13,200 homes were destroyed. Uh, 87 churches uh, were also destroyed by the fire. Um, I, I don't know why this stands out to me. I don't know when insurance was started, but but in 1666, there was no insurance that you, you, you didn't buy insurance on your home at that time. And so these losses were catastrophic to these people. Um, and uh, 70,000 people were displaced um, in this fire. And they said that you couldn't stand within 100 yards of the fire because it was so hot. And, and you say, well, you know, how hot does that, you know, really, how hot does that have to be? They, whenever, whenever archaeologists do, do work, one of the things that I'm really intrigued by is that how important pottery is. And I'm like, it's a broken vase. How important can it be? And in the London fire, broken pottery, they are able to test it. And there are tests that tell them how hot a particular fire was. 
the London fire reached temperatures over 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit. So 100 yards away, if it's a 3,000 degree, a large 3,000 degree fire, you're, you're feeling it so intensely you can't stand 100 yards away from it, the size of a football field. One of the things that uh, they reported happened because of this fire was that all the rats and the fleas in this area were destroyed by the fire. And the reason people were so excited about this was because at this time, the Black Plague or the Bubonic Plague existed in London, and rats and fleas were carriers of the Bubonic Plague. And so the fact that this fire destroyed all of, uh, of these, the, 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 this infestation was sort of seen as a good thing. So, okay, you know, a lot of people, 13,000 homes were lost, but, but it stopped the bubonic plague. And, so, and, and that plague killed 100,000 people in the city of London. So it was, it was pretty significant. And certainly London, through this, this whole process, it was rebuilt, but it was tested certainly by fire. And you and I, we also go through experiences in the fire where we are tested. And I want to look at three of those specifically today. The first one is this, is the fire of adversity. Isaiah says it this way in chapter 48, verse 10. God says, see, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Now, we'll, we'll talk about um, how how silver or gold is, is ultimately refined. But, but God is saying, I'm not testing you the way silver is tested. I'm testing you in the furnace of affliction. That word affliction, it, it means difficulties or misfortune. And I'll be honest, I think every single one of us would say, I don't like difficulties. I don't like affliction. I don't like adversity. I don't like bad, difficult things that happen in my life. I think it's only, it's only normal and natural that we feel that way. Uh, and we would even say, wouldn't life be fantastic if we didn't have any trouble in our lives? Now, as a, as a parent, okay, and now a grandparent, I understand that trouble, you know, those things are actually good things. When, when, when we discipline our children, we are bringing trouble upon their life, or they brought trouble on their life, and we're just helping them get through it, right? But we're disciplining them, and they would say that's affliction. You know, they, they might even say that it's more than that. But, but literally, we know that that trouble that, that we're bringing upon them in our discipline is helping them. Okay, so so we can't we can't be pain free in this life. We can't we can't have a, a complete absence of of trouble. First Peter chapter four verse twelve. Peter says this, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Uh, in his commentary, Benson says that, that this idea of the fiery ordeal, it's a dreadful series of furious and bitter persecutions. It's not just a one and done. In this life, you are not going to just suffer one difficult, fiery trial in your life and then move on and everything is fantastic after that. It is going to be a series of things that happen in our lives 
These, the, the scripture that, that Peter is writing, he's writing it to believers who are enduring persecution in the first century. Paul said, you know, fellas, I, I have to tell you, I worked harder than you guys worked. I was in prison more than you were. I was beaten more than you were. I was exposed to death over and over again. I was shipwrecked more than you are. I, I spent more time in the open sea alone floating there waiting to be rescued than you did. I, was, I, I suffered nakedness and cold and exposure. And Paul said, I went through more than that than all of, of you did. And then look at what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul actually delighted in difficulties. At first glance, we could say there's something wrong with that guy. But he delighted in them because he realized that when he was weak, that ultimately God was revealed to be strong. So Paul had come to an understanding that this affliction, that this adversity that I'm facing, that through it, ultimately, God will reveal himself in my life to be strong. And I don't think that most of us look that way at adversity. I think we look at it as this is hard and I don't like it and I'd like to be done with it. God has a purpose for adversity and we're going to experience the fire of those adversities. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you, <clears throat> excuse me, you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God has a purpose for affliction. God has a purpose for trouble. Not that, that God brings it into your life, but when it's there, God uses it for a reason. God wants to produce change in your life and in my life, and he uses the fires of affliction to produce that. And that adversity will produce God's purpose in us. Now, that doesn't mean that we go looking for it. But as we go through adversity, as we go through affliction, God produces change in our lives. And that change ultimately produces his purpose. The second thing, I, the fire I want to look at is the fire of purification. <clears throat> the fire of purification. What happens when we come in contact with fire. What happens? There's lots of things that happen. I mean, one of the one of the great thank you very much. Appreciate that. One of the great things uh, that, that happens because of fire is illumination. That's why we love to sit around the fireplace. Because we love the light that it gives. Okay? That's, I mean, I like wood-burning stoves too, but you, you, don't get, you don't get a lot of ambiance out of the wood-burning stove. Do you know what I'm saying? But boy, you, you have an open fire, and it's, it just it, it lights things up. We really like that. It does other things. It, it heats us up. 
It can melt things. It can even burn things ultimately. Remember I told you that a natural fire, you have to have, you have, to have heat, you have to have oxygen, and you have to have fuel. But guess what? God does not need any of those things. Scripture says God is a consuming fire in Hebrews 12. I read that last week. I got to get out my props. Remember our candle from last week? <clears throat> we lit that candle. Remember I waved my hand through it a few times and you went, ooh. <clears throat> that was really good. God is a consuming fire. The word consume, it means utterly as with fire. Okay? <clears throat> so um, when God says that he is a consuming fire, God doesn't need, doesn't need fuel. God is self-contained fire, okay? Now, I'm burning some propane here, obviously. And, and we, can, we can go to that candle and we can light it so easy and so fast. <clears throat> but what happens if we, if we keep the heat there on the candle? What, what's going to happen if we do that? What happens when that candle, I had to really work hard to not burn this whole candle in the first service. I wanted to melt the, the entire thing. But look at this. I've never done this before, before this, and now I'm going to get in trouble because there's wax on the table, um, and I'll have to clean it later. But look at what happens. When you keep that heat on the candle, it literally, it's going to ultimately burn up or destroy the candle. As long as I keep heat on it, it's going to continue to melt. It's going to continue to just, to just be used up and, and ultimately wasted away. And so when, when the heat of God comes into our lives, and when we come in contact with the presence of God, something is going to happen. You can't stay the same when you come in contact with God's presence. And the longer you're in that presence, the greater the impact is going to be. Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 9, it says, This third I will put into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is our God. When we come into contact with God's presence, the reason is to refine us. God desires to purify us. But why does something need to be refined? Because there are impurities contained inside. Most of us, we have, we have a ring on our finger if we're married. Now today, that doesn't mean that it's gold. But, you know, for those of us that are old like me, you know, pretty much they're all gold. You have this ring, and, and, and if this were in the original state that it was found in the gold, it wouldn't even be usable. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't put it on your finger. You, you couldn't, it, it wouldn't stay there. Um, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be something that's really attractive to, to, to use and to have. Um, and, and, and we don't, you know, I don't think about my ring very often unless I'm trying to take it off and it hurts to get it off, you know. 
than, than I think about it. But, but in its original state, that gold wouldn't have been usable. The only reason that it's usable is because something has happened to it. It has been subjected to the fire, and in that process, as it gets heated up, what happens? It goes through a process of purification. It, it, it has impurities that are in it, and when the heat gets turned up, and specifically with gold, that heat has to reach over 1,900 degrees. Okay? So we're not talking about the little flame. We're talking about the heat really getting turned up. Okay? And in our lives, we go through a process where God wants to remove impurities. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't accept us. When we come to Christ, what does God see? God sees the blood of Jesus over us. But when we encounter his presence, we begin to change. And God brings the impurities to the surface. If you do that with gold or silver, what happens? Those impurities, they come to the surface and then somebody who's experienced can take and they can scoop those impurities off the surface. It's called slag. And those impurities are gone. But then what does the goldsmith do? They go through the whole process again. Because the more you put the gold through the process, the more purified it ultimately becomes, the more valued it becomes. And God wants to create more and more value in you and in me. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 7, here's what Peter says. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Our faith is tested like gold. Our faith is tested like gold. The reason is because God ultimately wants to remove those things from our lives that should not be there. Those impurities, God wants to remove those. And when we, when we get close to his presence, we experience the fire of purification. And it's not a punishment. It is a process of making us more and more valuable. Number three is the fire of judgment. Now, let me say this. It's not the, the purpose or the calling of the church to judge. I just want to let that sink in. Because sometimes people get the wrong message. This last week, I, I talked to someone who shared with me their own personal experience of walking into a church and being told that they needed to find a different one. And that broke my heart because someone was judging them only on the external package. And they saw something that they said, well, we don't want that here. The Bible talks about judgment, but it doesn't say that we bring that judgment. That is reserved for God. 
The Bible talks about a couple different types of judgment. And, and let me start out by saying that everyone will experience judgment before God. Hebrews 9.27, it says that just as people are destined to die once and after that to face the judgment. So one day, every one of us will stand before God at one of these judgments. The first judgment that I want to just bring to your attention is what the Bible refers to as the great white throne judgment. It's found in Revelation chapter 20, verse 15. It says, anyone whose name was not written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. It is a judgment of fire. You say, well, how can I avoid that judgment? How can I get my name in that book? Very easy. We just come to Jesus and we just repent. And we just say, God, I, I realize that I'm a sinner. I realize that I cannot get rid of my own sin and I need you to forgive me and come into my heart and be my Lord and be my Savior. The other judgment that the scripture mentions is called the judgment seat of Christ. And this is particularly of value to us as those who are, are here as part of the body of Christ and, and who um, desire to, to live for God ultimately. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, the apostle Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Paul is speaking to Christians and he is saying that one day we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Some call it the mercy seat. It's the place where, where as Christians we are judged. And what is judged is that which we have done while alive on the earth. Whether good or bad. And here's where I want to draw the correlation. Because the scripture says it will also be a judgment of fire. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 13 to 15. Their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. Now, I want you to know the Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But when we stand before Jesus, when we stand before the mercy seat, the judgment seat of Christ, as a follower of Christ, all that we have done will be basically piled up before us. And the very consuming fire of God will be applied to it. And judgment will come on that. And whatever remains is that which has been done for Christ. You, you say, man, that's a scary thought. But whatever's left, that's our reward. It's encouragement for us to do things for Christ. James chapter 1 and verse 12 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Ultimately, heaven is our reward. If we live for Christ, if we, if we accept what Jesus has done for us on the cross, if we believe that God raised him from the dead, heaven is our ultimate reward. 
but we will stand in judgment, a judgment of the things that we have done. Friends, we're going to be tested by fire. It's just, it's just part of the reality. We will be tested through affliction. We will, be, we will have the fire of, of purification that we will go through in our lives. And ultimately, we will all face judgment. But you know, the great, the great London fire in 1666 didn't really kill all the rats. It didn't really kill all the fleas. And the bubonic plague didn't really die. It wasn't really eliminated. They liked the sound of it, but it ultimately wasn't really the truth. But I want to tell you something. When you and I encounter the presence of God, we will be changed. We will be changed. The great London fire couldn't destroy the bubonic plague. But God's fire in you and God's fire in me can, through adversity and affliction, through that purification process, he can bring us out the other side and we will be like gold. You say, man, that's a difficult process. It's hard and maybe you feel like you've really been going through the fire lately. Maybe your life, you, you say, man, Kevin, it's like one thing after the other. I, I'm, I'm going through stuff and it just, it never seems to stop. I want to encourage you today. Our normal response is to run from adversity, to run from affliction, to run when the heat gets turned up, the process of purification, to run away from those things. Let me encourage you today because I want you to respond a different way, and I believe God wants you to respond a different way. I want you to lean into it. And you say, what in the world do you mean? Don't run away from it because God wants to do something. In fact, God is in it. God is in the adversity, the affliction that you're going through. God's in it because he wants to do something through it in your life. And the only way for this to be accomplished is for you to not run away from it, but to lean into it. That process of purification where the heat gets turned up, God doesn't want you to run away from it. He wants you to lean into it. Because God wants to bring out a value in you that you've never seen before in your life. you got to lean into him. Don't run away from it. He wants to bring you out like beautiful gold on the other side of it. But it's a process. Maybe you're feeling judgment. The Bible has another word for that. When it ultimately comes from the Holy Spirit, it's called conviction. Maybe you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I want you to know that that conviction of the Holy Spirit is never meant to push you away. It's always meant to draw you closer. Always. In the life of every believer, there will be fire. Maybe you've been contemplating surrendering your life to Christ. Maybe you've been 
contemplating accepting Jesus as your Savior. And, and maybe part of the motivation for that is you've been dealing with a lot of adversity, a lot of affliction, and, and what you want is to, to find a Savior who will remove all of that from your life. I want you to understand something. That's not what's going to happen. You're still going to go through adversity. You're still going to go through affliction. You're still going to go through a process of purification. It's just that God has a plan in it, and the plan is to bring you through the other side and to make you into something that you never imagined you could be.